how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 372. David Weiner returns, the director of the In Search of Darkness trilogy from Crater VC. We originally talked about how David moved from LA to get involved with filmmaking. He worked as an assistant director for a period of time. He also wrote for Entertainment Tonight, The Hollywood Reporter, and he ran Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. You can look for our first interview in episode 294. In this episode, we caught up about the last year of David's work, his third film in the Darkness franchise, Lost Horror Movies That No One Talks About Anymore, Foreign Horror Movies, Heavy Metal Horror, and the most recent installment, what we can learn about indie horror movies today, and how they create content for fans in between projects. At the end of the episode, he also talks about how you can actually be a producer on this new show get your name actually in the credits so listen for that at the very end yeah the last year has been quite the whirlwind because when we last spoke we were talking about in search of tomorrow which was a five-hour 80s sci-fi documentary uh covering the entire decade from 1980 to 1989 with 70 plus contributors from the era and experts about the era, just talking about the greatest movies of the 80s. And that was really fun and cool. But uh, in between this In Search of Darkness, uh, sorry, in, in between this In Search of Tomorrow project, bookending it, we did In Search of Darkness, part one and part two. And I've also been working on In Search of Darkness, part three. And that's that's now baked, uh, you know, taking it out of the oven and ready to present it to uh, all the horror fans for uh, spooky season. So if you've seen In Search of Darkness part one or part two or both, uh, this is a continuation of uh, 80s horror coverage, uh, this time doing a much deeper dive into the straight to video shot on video the more eclectic titles, more international titles, not so much the heavy hitters like we did the first time around. It's an all new celebration of uh, 80s horror and it's the, the cap to a trilogy. And this one is the longest ever, five hours long. Somehow, some reason, the people who uh, back these projects and love these projects clamor for more, we could only be too happy to oblige and they want more and more and more. So this one's nice and long. Hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask that. I would think that, because um, I imagine with the first one, you weren't necessarily planning to do three. So it does seem like it would get more specific and more obscure and those type of things. What were some of the, maybe some of the movies in the newest one that some people might know, some people might not know any examples that come to mind? Well, I, I should preface by saying that uh, the the choices in, in Search of Darkness Part 3 are entirely made by backers and fans who have been supporting these projects. Uh, we realized that uh, they were very invested in everything that we were doing and it was only too obvious to invite everyone to dictate 
the type of content that they wanted to see since we're doing this yet a third time around. I never expected to, like you said, I never expected to be given In Search of Darkness 3, but twist my arm. You know, there was so much in the 80s uh, in terms of movies that came out and hundreds and hundreds of titles, a lot of them that have gone by the wayside and have not crossed the digital divide and are harder to find these days. Um, for example, a, like a good title uh, to that, that best represents that is, is a movie called Blood Beach. Mm-hmm. Blood Beach came out in, uh, 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 I think, January 1981. And it came out theatrically, and that was sort of riding the wave of Jaws. They had an amazing tagline. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, you can't get to it. And, uh, you know, it was kind of tremors before tremors 10 years early with a monster that sucks people under, you know, uh, in the sand. Uh, But that film, after it went on, it got to VHS, it never made it to streaming. It never made it to DVD, never made it to Blu-ray. It got caught up in all sorts of uh, uh, legal red tape in terms of the rights for distribution. And so now it's, it's kind of getting lost. And so uh, more than happy to be able to shine a spotlight on a movie like that, because whatever you might think of Blood Beach, there's a story behind it. And it's also uh, part of this decade of uh, pretty insane horror filmmaking. What was some of the difficulty in those? So if it's not on streamers, you can't necessarily go buy a DVD. How do you got to, how do you guys start to go find that actual material? Is it actually from film? How do you kind of work on some of those things? Uh, well, that one, you know, you would have to get it from the VHS. Uh, uh, yeah, we don't go to the the film source. Uh, you know, th- there's whatever material is is available to the consumer is how we we get this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a it's a, we do seventy nine films that we that we cover in this, and then there's larger context chapters in between. And every time we either cover an individual film or we cover a chapter, we're always throwing to uh, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other films. So uh, if we had to get to the celluloid source for all of this stuff, we would never be able to finish this film. Are you are you kind of categorizing by like subgenre? Are there any particularly odd subgenres maybe you never even really thought about before you started this bigger project with the first one, maybe? Yeah, we are going to, I wanted to touch on more international uh, filmmaking. Um, We have this wonderful uh, filmmaker, Ruben Galindo Jr. He's a Mexican uh, horror filmmaker. These days he does reality television. But in the 80s, he was uh, a horror filmmaker and put out films like uh, uh, Don't Panic and, uh, and Grave Robbers and Cemetery of Terror. And they're wonderful. And he's got such a great sense of humor about his own work. Um, and uh, I wanted to put the spotlight on some Mexican and Spanish filmmaking, some Asian filmmaking, uh, more Canadian filmmaking. Canadian filmmaking is like the invisible stuff because, you, you know, it's in English and it's got uh, a lot of North American stars. So there's no way you would necessarily know it unless maybe the name Cronenberg was on there. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's important to sort of uh, differentiate what's Canadian horror and what's, what's not. A little more Italian horror. Um, just a lot of fun stuff, some Australian horror. And in terms of subgenres, you know, that I wanted to dive a little more into heavy metal horror. Um, the 80s was an era of the satanic panic and a lot of pushback on horror filmmaking and, and, and 
a lot of the uh, concern from parents and 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 the message from the evangel evangelical far right was that demons were corrupting uh, our our children, and uh, filmmakers just capitalized on that with with a big smile on their face and made a bunch of heavy metal horror movies and as a result and so you have everything from trick or treat that starred uh you know gene simmons and, and mark price skippy from family ties to uh you know films that are like straight to video like rock and roll nightmare it's really fun stuff are you expecting to maybe with with some you guys are kind of bringing light to some of these um have you noticed any surprise reboots like being made in Hollywood by some of this like reprisal of older films. Yeah. You know, I'm so used to it. You use the word surprise. I hear the word reboot, but not surprise. <laughs> um, you know, this, this is the, and even in the eighties, it was the same way. You know, there was a lot of art and innovation and indie spirit making a lot of these films, especially capitalizing on the video revolution where, the gatekeepers of the Hollywood studios didn't matter anymore. You could just make your own film, find an indie distributor, like every, anyone from Lloyd Kaufman to Roger Corman to Charles Band, and they'd put it out. Or, you know, even like, uh, it just didn't matter what the producer was. They just wanted to get it straight to the video store shelves and make a quick buck. A lot of people forget that uh, 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 videotapes when they first were coming out, uh, a lot of Hollywood's, Hollywood studios didn't want to license their material for videotapes. And so uh, uh, producers were looking for indie filmmakers to create content and sex and violence is really what sold. And also if you sold a videotape, it was directly to, it wasn't to the consumer, it was to the mom and pop video stores that were popping up everywhere. And those videotapes cost 50 to $100 uh, each. And so you could you could make a, a mint overnight and line your pockets with millions as an indie producer with one or two or three titles. And that's all you really needed. Tell me about was were there any like positive uh, limitations to these films? It seems like if you're watching movies from the 80s when the technology was not quite there, you can actually lean more into the creature feature stuff and going back to like Corman, which you mentioned. It seems like for indie filmmakers today want to make a horror, that would maybe be a better place to look as opposed to modern films where it can get expensive with CGI and some of those things. Are there any like examples or rules or kind of cheat codes and things like that from watching these 80s films that are relevant to maybe indie filmmakers today? Oh, you know what? And and apologies. I want to go back because now sure. I'm remembering because you were asking about the reboot. And, and, and the reason why I went back talking about this this sort of formula in the 80s uh, for releasing films was people then and people now are, are chasing the almighty dollar. So you might have some creative filmmaking, but at the end of the day, people want to make money. Uh, same thing as today. A reboot is a much more, more sure thing, you know, uh, whether you're doing Hellraiser or another Halloween or some or child's, you know, a child's play reboot, whatever you're doing, uh, people want or scream, yet another scream. Uh, all these things are dollars are surefire dollar signs for studios where they're facing marketing budgets that are uh, more than the, the budget of the film itself. So they want to make sure that they can make a safe bet. And so none of these reboots are surprises, you know, but they all do look back at the 80s, mm -hmm. you know. So there you go. You know, is there is there a formula that I found for for all of these movies that these filmmakers were making? Um, everyone was looking at trends. 
You know, everyone was looking at what did the best and wanted to be just like that. So that's why you get the slasher boom, you know, because you get a movie like Halloween that just makes, you know, a huge amount of return based on the investment of the budget. Uh, and everyone wants to make a movie like Halloween. So you get seasonal, you know, seasonal films, uh, uh, whether it, or, or just thematic things. So whether you're doing, you know, My Bloody Valentine or you're doing Prom Night, uh, you're doing Friday the 13th. These are all uh, drafting off of the success that they would see with, again, with the dollar signs that John Carpenter would do. You know, then all of a sudden you see you have like an American werewolf in London and 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 the howling sort of the one-two punch with all these amazing transformation effects and everyone says i want to do something like that then you do something like uh, nightmare on elm street wes craven creates this ultimate dream phantasmagorical character with freddy krueger then that that paves the way for movies like hellraiser or just even chucky because everyone wants their iconic mascot that you could you could turn into a franchise when they look at michael myers or they look at you know jason or even, you know, the return of more Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies with Leatherface. People just see uh, consistency and fundamentally, at the end of the day, horror all really always does very well, nine times out of ten, because you can do it for a low budget and you'll always get a great opening weekend because horror fans are very devoted and very and they, they vote with their dollars. Do you have any Halloween's kind of coming up? Do you have any personal appointment viewing you have to see? I mean, the, the big channels kind of show the same handful of movies, but there's obviously so many other ones out there. What are some that that you like to maybe watch almost like seasonally? Well, I, I year round, especially these days, I've been getting uh, a, a lot of 80s horror. So I kind of like to go outside the lines a little bit. Uh, and, and for me, when it comes to Halloween, and spooky season, I tend to want to always look back at the uh, Hammer Horror films, the Universal Monsters. Those are that's like my comfort blanket, you know. Um, so you know whether it's Brides of Dracula or just the original, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, or you know even the original uh, Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein is usually a go-to. Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff just sort of gives me a warm feeling because it's so creative and. Um, I, I, I often fill in the blanks with a lot of 70s horror as well. I recently went back to The Brood by David Cronenberg. And uh, that, that is a crazy and ridiculous film that, uh, you know, full of imagination and his patented hor uh, body horror. But it's just it's just a spooky, creepy film. You know, uh, I, I will say no more. And if you don't know anything about it, check out The Brood by David Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. um, but I have certain staples. Like I always like to go back to Norman Bates, you know, in whether it's Psycho 1, 2 or 3, I'll watch any of those. Um, and uh, another staple, I'll give you two more staples because I obviously I clearly have a lot. <laughs> but uh, I, I always find myself going back to Village of the Damned the 60s uh, uh, black and white film, uh, that always haunts me. And there's something about it where it's a it's an easy, compelling watch. And it always puts me in the right frame of mind for the season. Um, and then uh, with my family, we all always sit down and watch Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> Covers all the bases, makes us laugh each and every time over the same jokes we've been watching for years. The energy, it's just uh, a classic comedy that it, it includes the best of the Universal Monsters. How could you go wrong? 
So tell me, um, you guys are known for community-powered entertainment. I spoke with Robin Block last year as well, which he kind of runs more of the, the business side of things. Has anything changed about the business you've seen? So I think you guys started with more of sales of, of Blu-ray. Have you gone to Shutter, And is that kind of something you're working on as well? Well, this has always started. Uh, Robin is the CEO of, uh, of uh, Creator VC. And uh, uh, I came on to direct In Search of Darkness, and I've been on the ride with him ever since, uh, and we're close collaborators. It's a very small company, a very tight team of about 10 people working from around the globe. They're in the UK, but we have a bunch of people in America, but we also have, you know, our graphics guys in in Berlin. Um, It's a very efficient team. the kind of material that we started with was always crowdfunded. And as we progressed and saw how positive the response was to the material we were doing, that we were doing uh, by fans, for fans, essentially, Robin really dialed into the community elements of this process. And it's something that is very important to me because we, uh, are, we are constantly creating content for our backers that we would want to see as fans as well. And uh, it, it's only natural to incorporate the backers in the process, show them what we're doing along the way, get their opinion at the beginning, uh, pre-production elements of uh, a project, uh, but also keep uh, tabs with everybody. It's not like we raise money and then see you in a year. Throughout the year, every Sunday, we have watch parties. We have a, a, a daily discord where like-minded fans can chit chat and really establish a real strong community. Um, It's really nice to be able to bounce all the stuff we're doing off of our uh, backers throughout the course of the year uh, and do special things for them and show them, you know, before the film is ready, we could show a couple segments or play some of the music from Weary Pines and give people a taste of what we're doing and have Q and A's each and every time. So uh, we can be in direct contact with everyone and, get hear what's on their mind and, and they get to pick our brains a little bit and, and we get to share the process. So while In Search of Darkness 1 and 2 have are playing on Shutter, and you could also see them on like Amazon Prime and AMC Plus, um, ultimately these are crowdfunded projects through and through where we uh, are intent on making the film, crowdfunding the film, making the film, and then manufacturing it so you can have a, a something to hold in your hands and have your credit in it uh, at the during the end credits and it's like a keepsake you know and and, and you can have the the, uh, the pride of of helping us create it and then get it over the line you know shepherding it the entire way so that's really sort of uh, our our ethos with this stuff is that it, it's more than just you know. Hold, you know, give us your money, we'll make a movie, and then we that's it, we move on to whatever. We, we're passionate about genre film, we want to cover as many bases, as many decades as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, if and when we can get distribution in other places like Shutter or wherever, that's of course beneficial because we get a larger audience that gets exposed to this material but fundamentally it starts with with uh crowdfunding and fans it seems like a a natural thing to get this point and ask for feedback and and they can you kind of creating it for this more specific voice as opposed to the the first one you guys were making which you were kind of maybe 
following an idea along the way. Are you seeing other companies, like other small studios doing anything similar? Is there anyone else you guys look to about how you uh, interact with fans or maybe even like something outside of film, just maybe like just fan clubs for things? Not really. Um, we, we kind of are doing pretty well doing our own thing. I mean, I can't say that we're working in a vacuum. Everyone on the team interacts with other crowdfunding uh, things that we like to support or, you know, we, we are a, a part of what have you, you know, Facebook groups, you know, Discord groups, video game uh, interacting uh, interactions, what have you. So we all have just the personal experience of what we like and what we don't like and what we would want to see and how we would like to be treated and incentives that we all respond to. But fundamentally, we don't use anyone as a template. We're, we're, we're pretty happy with the stuff that we're doing because the response has been so positive. And uh, we just got off of a, a crowdfunding, the initial crowdfunding for Aliens Expanded, mm -hmm. which is a uh, uh, an in-depth look at James Cameron's Aliens. And that was incredibly successful. Uh, Ian Nathan is directing that. I'm executive producing that. Um, but we have a bunch of the aliens team on board and uh, a cast and crew and more to come. Uh, that's going to be a very immersive experience during the production with lots of, uh, you know, seminars and presentations and Q and A's and interaction with our cast as well. Mm -hmm. So we have so much planned um, and the proof is in the pudding in terms of people uh, supporting these projects. So we get to do more. I mean, it's a, it's a great we're, we're super lucky that people have responded so positively. Is that also, um, is that an unknown length? Are you guys leaning with something like that more two hours or it could also possibly be four hours? Like how do you decide some of those things? Uh, sometimes uh, in, in the, it always starts short. <laughs> <laughs> and then the structure kind of demands more. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of work, I'm sure you could imagine, but I'm just confirming the obvious. It's a lot of work to make a four or a five hour film and turn it around in a year's time, mm -hmm. not including development leading up to it that goes beyond that year. But uh, production and post-production and just setting all this stuff is quite a task. And uh, ironically, we don't want it to be that long because it's a lot of work. Not that we don't want to put in the work, but it's literally just demanding to get the stuff done. But the way we like to do these deep dives, it, it, they end up being long form documentaries. And uh, I think it best serves the audience who really appreciate uh, a, a long sit because you get more for what you put into it. Mm -hmm. And we're happy to do that. And ultimately it comes down to, have we delivered the best product that uh, we would wanna see as fans and that the fans would wanna see from us. And that's really what dictates the length of these things. Okay. We're about out of time. I just want to give a few more details about where to find it when it comes out. Some of those things. Yeah. In search of darkness, part three uh, is uh, we're running the final campaign from October 6th to October 31st, the midnight and Halloween go to eighties horror doc.com eight zero S uh, and you can get In Search of Darkness Part 3. And so what happens is you order it, you get your name in the credits, you get all sorts of cool swag. If you missed In Search of Darkness Part 1 or Part 2, you could also get a trilogy box set 
or an individual one or two and a slip case, put it all together, however you want to do it. There's a variety of things. There's posters, there's digital downloads, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and then there's another last element that uh, talking about all this community that I think is really important. I wanted to uh, incorporate our backers as best we could in this film. And so in this end credits, when you have your own credit, uh, I'm also inviting anyone to do a video testimonial uh, about how much they love 80s horror or 80s film or 80s filmmaker or even the In Search of Darkness franchise and what it's meant to you. And we can't promise to put every single one, but we're gonna put as many as we can uh, during this end credit to get a real sense of the backers and how they feel about this stuff. And who knows, there might not be a dry eye in the house when we're all done. But um, you could find that if you go to any of our socials at 80s Horror Doc on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. There's that link tree at the top uh, in the profile. If you click on that, that's how you can find out how to submit your video horror testimonial. And, um, you know, I'm just very excited to, uh, to close this trilogy on a high. And uh, I've been working on this for quite some time while also finishing up in search of tomorrow at the same time there was a lot of crossover so we have a great team that did a lot of the heavy lifting to make this happen and happy to get it to everyone finally for spooky season hey thanks for tuning in to the show so many great lessons on screenwriting here if you're looking for some more information though some more about the craft of writing for television uh, we have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com slash television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.